0: I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Okay, open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter four. We're going from chapter three to chapter four. We are trucking along in this book. As you're turning to 1 John chapter four, let me ask you a question. Has anybody here, by show of hands, uh, Terry, we forgot to pray for you. Please don't let me forget to pray before the end of the service, I apologize. Um, but. I'm reminded. How many of you have ever traveled outside of the United States? Canada and Mexico totally count. Um, Yeah, we know. Okay. I love to travel. My wife and I we love to travel any chance we get, and we've only been together outside of the country a few times. The first time I ever traveled outside of the country, I was 10 years old, and my father who is originally from Mexico, was taking us down to his hometown where he grew up and was born and raised um, for the first time. And uh, it was, qu- I, living in central, uh, the central coast of California, the furthest south I had ever been was Los Angeles, which was about a three hour trip. And I remember as a kid thinking Los Angeles was Mexico, which is not a racist statement. I just really thought we were in Mexico. I thought, oh, Los Angeles, Mexico, that's just what it is. Found out when I was 10 that it was not. We tri- we drove for three days to get down, uh, to a a state in Mexico called Colima, which is where my dad's from. It was so strange. Now, this was 1988, okay? Um, So, you know, we've got pretty much, I've got a Nintendo, so I'm doing all right. You know, I'm in in the fourth grade or fifth grade, actually. And um, go down there, completely different world. Um, I remember going to my my grandfather's house uh, in the town of Hala, which means pull, Hala Kalima, Mexico. They were just putting in running water, and we're thinking, "Oh my gosh!" Like, like I, I remember one of the games we played. We were jumping across and over the the ditch where the pipes were just being laid. These big, massive pipes. We were jumping across them and having fun. Like that was one of the games we were playing. Dirt roads everywhere. Um, it was so strange. I remember um, I remember going to the the the, the corner store, and I could buy a bottle of Pepsi now back in that day, we were, they were just transitioning from the fat glass bottles to plastic bottles. But these were the long classic bottles like Coca-Cola and Sprites. You'd get those for 250 pesos, which at the time was like a nickel. <laughs> like you would go there and I could just buy sodas all day long because that was nothing. 250 pesos was, it literally was like 20 cents a soda. It was so fun. I remember the first time my, my uncle told my cousin who was my age, 10 years old as well, go down to the store and buy me a beer. I was like, what? We went to, And I went with them, and they just totally sold us liquor, and we took it back home to Uncle, who then proceeded to drink it. It was just normal for them. And then I remember uh, playing on these cobblestone roads, which I know some cities in our country have cobblestone roads, but I'd never seen cobblestone roads. They were just really fun, and the buildings were all close together. Um, if you've ever seen pictures of, like, um, Israel or, like, Italy, where the buildings are close together with the cobblestone roads, it kind of looked like that. It was really fun. I remember uh, we went to uh, a barbecue, and uh, they're like, okay, we haven't started yet because we still have to kill the cow. And so they killed the cow, and I remember my aunt going down to the river, and in the river, washing like out the, the intestines because they were going to make tripas, which is the intestines, and they were going to barbecue that. It was actually a pig. It wasn't a cow. I, uh, I got that wrong. But I remember her cleaning those out in the river, and I was like, this is so strange. Like, where Am I? Now, anybody ever have anything like that? You go to another country. I remember the first time I went to Canada, which Canada is like America lite. It's not really that different, but it is different. Like you go, and everything's in English and French, and everything's in kilometers, and, you know, it's just different. It's not, it's the same, but it's different. And the language is different, and the accent is different, and the, and the verbiage they use is different. It's really strange to travel from home to go to a place that you've never been to or are not familiar with. I share that with you this morning uh, because in the reverse, that's us. If you're a Christian today, you are no longer from here, or, or I should say, this is no longer your place. We now belong to a different place, and its culture is Totally different than the one that we're used to. And its culture, its language, and its way of life, and its way of thinking is completely opposite of what you're used to in this world. We're going to talk about that this morning. John's going to talk about that at length. But before we do that, let's just pray. Jesus, your word is good. Your word is very clear that uh, by your grace we belong in another place. By your grace, we, this is not all we have to look forward to. It's not about making this a better place. It's about looking forward to a better place. I pray, Lord, that as we move forward, that you would, uh, that you would, the, by the Holy Spirit, not by my words, not by my uh, stories or lame jokes, Lord, but by your Spirit, that people would see and have their hope sparked, Lord, and reminded of this place that you have prepared for us. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. John says in verse two, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This seems like a very narrow, uh, very small litmus test to find out if the voice you're hearing is from God or from something else. There are plenty of people who go around claiming God told me this, God told me that, God told me this, God told me that. You know, most of the time, depending on outside evidence, I'll say, okay, well, I can't. I can't quantify that. I can't judge that. I'm not inside your head. I don't know your spirit. I can't say yes or no, God spoke to you or didn't speak to you. But the Bible gives us markers, indicators, and tests to know if God has genuinely spoken to somebody. At least we can know if there's consistency between what the Bible says and what they claim God is saying to them. Now for John, he's addressing a group of people who have been infiltrated by the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, one of their big claims was something called docetism, which is just a big word that means that Jesus came in spirit only and just looked like a person. He just looked like a man. He looked looked like he had flesh, but he really didn't. And this is their way of trying to get around uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because most people are okay with Jesus, and so you start talking about how he's God and come back from the dead then it's like, whoa, okay, now we're getting, I'm all about him you know, welcoming in the children, and I'm all about him standing up for righteousness, and I'm all about him you know, fighting my battles, and I'm all about him you know, talking about giving to the poor and, and, and the, the disenfranchised. But, but then you start talking about his deity, and now a choice has to be made. And so when you start talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, people either accept it, and we call those Christians, or they reject it, and we generally call them atheists or, or, or agnostics, non-believers, or they try to they try to make it more palatable, which is the only thing worse than rejecting it, really. By trying to make it more palatable, trying to make it more cool, try to make it more diverse, try to make it more acceptable, all you've done is now watered down the very medicine that we need to be healthy and strong. It's like, oh, you have a massive headache? Let me give you, you know. A thousand milligrams of ibuprofen, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna cut out half of it and then just give you, you know, a placebo or something. So I'm giving you less medicine than you need to overcome the ailment you have. You need Jesus, but I understand you're gonna kick against the the, the death part. So we'll make it that He was really just like a ghost, and He looked like a person, but He wasn't really. So that explains that, and you can. I guess, find it easier to believe that he was a ghost than a real person. I don't know how that's better, but, hey, that's the Gnostics and that's their theology. A theology, I know some people are scared of that word theology. It sounds so uh, sterile and it sounds so, uh, you know, like we're going to seminary. Theology just means what, it's just what you think about God. Atheists have a theology. They don't believe that there is a God. So that's their theology. Theos meaning God, ology meaning ology. And it, (laughs) me. <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't want to lose you in my technical jargon, but that's what that means. Um, but everybody has a theology. You have a theology, I have a theology. And our goal is to have our theology based on what the word of God says. Not what we feel, not what we think, not just what we've been taught, but by what the word of God says about God himself. And so John says that if something is from God, if it's a spirit from God, it will not reject that Jesus came in the flesh. The Bible speaks frequently about Jesus being born of a virgin, being born not of, of human choice or by the power of man, but born by the Holy Spirit. And he's not, uh, he's not half God, half man. He's all God and all man together in one. He is, he is God in the flesh or incarnate. He is every bit God and every bit man. And every spirit that is from God Confesses, declares openly, freely, the fact that Jesus is in fact that. So you think you're hearing from God, but you're hearing only a partial story about him. You're only hearing some of the facts about him. You've got to be careful. This is where John says, Well we'll test that. We test something for one of two reasons, to see if it's fake or to see if it's true. One of the reasons why our country is in such a mess right now is because we don't test anything anymore. Somebody shares something on our Facebook feed and we just assume that it's true, so we share it. And we perpetuate lies, not realizing that a simple Google search will will either confirm or deny what we're sharing right now. It's not that hard to look up the facts, but we as people have become so sensationalistic, we just share things without thinking about it. Without, we're so appalled by something we've seen or intrigued by something we've seen, we'll share it before we actually confirm if it's actually true or not. And that's on us. We as Christians, especially, should be adept at testing, improving, and, and going over and running things through different filters and levels to find out, is this actually true, is this accurate? As Christians, what we believe determines our trajectory. It determines which direction we're going. If we believe that God hates us, we're going to respond to Him in that way. We're either going to reject Him because He hates us, or we're going to be afraid of Him that we're always going to make Him mad. So we're eventually going to burn out from trying to be a perfectionist. You now, if we think that God doesn't send anybody to hell, we're never going to we're never going to share the gospel in truth. We're never going to share with them that that those who are sinners end up rejecting Christ and spending eternity in hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we're not cool with the concept of hell, meaning we don't like hell. We don't wish that anybody would go there. It's the opposite. We preach about hell because we don't want people to go there. We want people to spend eternity with their creator, with the one who loves them. The same thing that we're hoping for, we want them to hope for as well. So if a spirit, if we hear a voice, if you hear someone, something speaking to you and you can determine that A, you're not schizophrenic, you don't have any type of mental, and I'm not saying this lightly, I mean you literally aren't hearing voices, but you hear that what the Bible calls a still small voice as he spoke to uh, Elijah in in the crag of the mountain. If you hear that still small voice and it says something that backs up what the word of God says or is backed up by the word of God, then you can move forward in faith that that is God speaking to you. But if it's contrary to the word of God, then you have to proceed cautiously and say, wait a minute, that's, why would God say something different now than then? If Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and, and the teaching of the church should be consistent, not only just over a generation, but over thousands of years, why would he all of a sudden say something different? Spoiler, he wouldn't. He's going to say the same thing to me that he's going to say to you, that he's going to say to the next generation, that he said to the previous generation. That Jesus is the only way of salvation and that through him there is no other way. Our confession, speaking of confession, because this is a pretty big word that John uses, what's our confession? What's your confession? Who is Jesus? Jesus one day was walking with Peter and the disciples and he asked them, who do you say that I am? Or, or who does the world say that I am, rather? And they all answered, you know, the, the common rumors that were flying around. Oh, some say you're this guy, you're a prophet of old, you're this, you're that. And then Jesus turns around and says, well, well who do you say that I am? See, because when you, when you and Jesus, it's just you and him and you know, late at night or early in the morning or driving or wherever you are in solitude, and it's just you and him, it doesn't matter what anybody else has said. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't even matter what you say, really. It matters what the word of God says. And what you say, our goal, is that what I would say and what you would say is what the word has already said, what the word has already declared, openly and freely. It's not, it's not hidden, it's not mysterious. It might be difficult at times to understand. And there are times where it's difficult to adhere to. I find most people reject the Bible not because they don't understand it, but because they understand it clearly and they don't want to do it. They don't want to adhere to it. But God has not shrouded the Bible in mystery so that you would just walk around confused all the time. Imagine you adopting a child and then always keeping that child confused as to whether or not they actually belong to the family, always saying underhanded things, passive aggressive remarks so that they like they're like, well, they adopted me, but you know they don't really say nice things, but they feed me but they make me sleep outside. Like there's all these really weird things that I feel like I'm a part, but I'm and there's never any straight answer. Am I a part of this family? Well, are you? Like it's always this backhanded kind of weird remark. And then that's that's what we when we when we approach the Bible as being mysterious in that way. That's kind of the position we're putting God in that He's adopted us and wants to keep it all a secret and put us through these the, these spiritual gymnastics to maybe just maybe pass this test so that we might uh, actually be a you know, a confirmed part of his family. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That's very clear, concise. Jesus is not mincing words or trying to make it more palatable. He's just telling you and I the truth, the truth that he is. The Bible tells us that we are sinners in need of saving. I, I confess that. I, I say that about myself, and I preach that to you as often as I can, not because I want you to feel guilty, but because I want you to see the salvation of Christ in the way that the Bible proclaims it. See, if, if we live in a generation that doesn't think that they're sinners, so the salvation of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, doesn't really mean that much to them. They're, they're more worried about, you know, getting a better job or moving up or making more money or doing this or doing that than finding redemption from the greatest sickness they have in them which is sin. And so sometimes we have to emphasize sin, not to emphasize sin and you're a sinner and you're worthless and you can't make it, blah, blah, blah. No, no, to be realistic, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And the good news is I have a savior. His name is Jesus. He's, it's not a thing, it's not a person, it's, or excuse me, not a place. It's not an ideology. It's not a possession. It's a person named Jesus. And he's done everything that is needed so that we might be reconciled to him. John says, and continues that uh, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, and that indeed this is something called the spirit of Antichrist. And if you've ever seen the Left Behind or read the Left Behind movies and you uh, or books, and you've seen uh, Nikolai Carpathia. He's like the, the Antichrist in the movie. And you've got kind of that vague imagery of, of, of this person who is coming. The Bible speaks about a, a man, a son of perdition that will come. It's all part of eschatology or the study of end times and, and what he'll do and you know, nations and all this. But John says, look, there's this spirit coming and has already come. And that's the spirit of Antichrist. It was alive and well in John's day and it's alive and well in our day. So what does that mean because we're not looking for a specific person we're not looking for a guy shrouded in mystery could he be looking for all kinds of markers what we're looking for is the spirit of antichrist or antichrist that permeates our culture the spirit of antichrist is anything anyone any idea that comes directly against christ and his teachings and his way of salvation you know John is contextually referring to false teachers. I, 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 these false teachers were coming against Jesus through his teaching, and, and again, his deity and, and his position as the Son of God. But the misconception that we can get here in the, um, in the pursuit of being apart from the spirit of Antichrist or Antichrist is that we just have to follow blindly. Like, whatever said from here must be just followed blindly. We, we, we just have to adhere to it and uh, just trust that whoever's up here preaching or teaching is giving a message that is biblically sound. But that's against what John just said in the first verse, to test every spirit. We test every spirit because there indeed is this spirit of antichrist. When in the book of Acts, when Paul spoke to a group of people called the Bereans, they tested everything that Paul said. They, they went back to the word to see if it was true. When I preach or when anybody else preaches from up here or you listen to a podcast or a sermon or read a book and you read something and it just doesn't seem right, don't just stand back and go, well, this person wrote a book. They must be telling the truth. No, this person wrote a book maybe just to make money because there's a lot of money to be made in making books or writing books. Now, not every author's doing that and... Like I said, it's probably few and, uh, far less than those who are doing it for the right reasons. But not everybody that puts out a podcast, not everybody puts out a website, not everybody that puts out a blog or uh, a sermon series or preaches, or even within the walls of the church, not every one of them is doing it for the right reasons. And so they'll come, and it will be subtle as it was with the Gnostics. The spirit of Antichrist will slowly chip away at the foundational doctrines of the church, the foundational doctrines about Jesus. And so we as Christians, we can't coast. We must be diligent day in and day out. What is this teaching? What is this? Question these things. Question that thing. What does the Bible actually say about this concept, this teaching? Are they right? Is that person right? Am I wrong? Did I just take somebody's uh, teaching and just go with it without questioning it myself? We are to seek, to ask, and to knock, not just for the things that we want, but for for the things that we would want, which is the clarity, the, the, the sound doctrine that only Jesus provides. That responsibility falls on us individually. Now, we come together as a church, and I'm preaching now. We'll teach on Wednesdays and that sort of thing. And, and as teachers and preachers, the pastors here, we take that responsibility. Uh, we, we don't take that responsibility lightly. We believe that we will stand before the Lord and have much to give account for. So we do our best to be diligent in our study and, and in hearing the voice of God but when it comes down to what's being said and what's being received, that's on us as individuals. Whether we're going to just kind of let it flow in one ear and out the other, whether we're going to uh, go back, read the scriptures for ourselves, I often have had people come and talk to me afterwards after a sermon and say, well, I, I disagreed with this, only to find out there was a, a, a miscommunication, mostly on my part. Like I said something the wrong way and didn't verbalize it the way I wanted to because me you no know, talk good. And I was just like, no, but this is what I meant. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way. This is what I meant. Let me clarify. And we have a great moment of growth. We, we grow as, as individuals there and, and collectively as well. Spirit of Antichrist or Antichrist seeks to divide and confuse and keep things mysterious and shroud it in a cover of impenetrable unknowingness. Because if you could keep questioning, you're in a place of vulnerability where you can be led into all sorts of different deceptions. And the problem with deceived people is they don't know they're deceived because they've been deceived. And so how do we overcome the deception of the spirit of Antichrist? We read the word of God. It's quite simple. We read the word, we go back to it. This is why one of my favorite things to do is to think about heroes of the Bible, men who were just men like you and I, people like you and I, and then I like to try to apply modern day theology to those people and think about how they would respond. Like, Like if we talk to Joseph after being accused of raping Potiphar's wife, and trying to explain to him his best life now. Like I wonder how that would go as he sat in, in in prison for something he didn't do. Or maybe uh was it Joseph as well who was thrown down the pit? It was, sold by his brothers. I mean, he could just be an object lesson all day long. I just like to think about like how would that that just wouldn't work? Because his best life now, his everyday of Friday, was in a dungeon, in a pit, and 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 sold by his brothers and and, and, and betrayed by his family and, and, and left and forgotten in a prison cell. But eventually we see God use the worst aspects of his life to save his family. And at the end of that, he, he, he says, you know, what What the enemy sought for evil, God turned around for good. And, and Paul reiterates that in Romans chapter 8, saying that all things work for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. You know, all the things in your life are going to work out for good eventually. Maybe not in this moment, which I know is what you want. You want it to work out good right now. But the word doesn't say it'll work out good now. It'll, it'll eventually work out for your good because literally you've been called according to his purpose. We must test the spirits to make sure that we're not in error. We We as pastors here, we don't we don't take false theology lightly. And people fall, teachers fall into a couple different categories, and, and I'm not trying to, like, beat anybody down, but here's kind of how I approach this. There are some people who are evil, mean, manipulative, and have used the scriptures and Jesus and the church as a leverage bar to get what they want. It's just another form of power. Some people use politics. Some people will use uh, uh ethics or race rel- relig- relations and anything they can to gain position and power because that's ultimately what they want. And these are the people that we're not really cool with. We're just like, no, you're, you're, you're wolves in sheep's clothing. You're devouring the wolves to fatten yourself. Not cool. Jesus is not down with that. Lots of stories about the shepherd going after the lion and the bear and that sort of thing. So we're not cool with that. Then there are some people who generally learn from those people And what happens is, they think that's the truth. And they're not manipulative, they're not being mean, they just think, oh, that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus wants you to have your best life now and that you 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 uh, everything will be good and you'll never get sick. And if you are sick, you shouldn't be sick and you just gotta have enough faith to not be sick. And, and if you're not rich, you should be rich and you just need enough faith to be rich and you'll be rich and to actualize what you want, just confess that you have it before you have it. And if I've ever seen, if I ever seen my child ever do something like that, like I'm gonna have this Nintendo Switch because I want this Nintendo Switch. So I just gotta actualize it and, and claim that I have it. And you know what? They're not, getting a Nintendo Switch. Half of you are like, what is even that? Don't worry about it. It's a, it's a video game. Because I see their heart in that and I go, no, they're not ready for something like that. Your children shouldn't strong arm you into their way of life. They shouldn't be able to manipulate you to get what they want And and sometimes we know that as parents but we forget that as theologians or as Christ followers or as People who believe in Jesus. And so for those people, we like to have good conversation with them. We don't cut them out of our lives necessarily at first. We hope to have conversation where we say, hey, you know what? I heard you preaching or teaching this. Let's talk about that. Tell me where that comes from. Tell me, let's talk about that and let's see what the word of God says. You know, this past Wednesday we were talking about healing and, and James, you know, very matter-of-factly says, you know, if any, is anyone amongst you sick? In chapter five, let the elders of the church pray over them, anointing them with oil, saying the prayer of faith, and I'm paraphrasing. But there is no, there's almost no room for not being healed. And some people take that verse and, and then use it to say you must be healed and if you're not healed then you have, you have lacked faith to be healed. But, if I would only take that verse and teach it in that way, and there was no other part of scripture, then I might have a case. But go back to Jesus. How did he heal people? Well, there was one time where he made paste out of mud with his spit and rubbed it in a guy's eye. And I've never seen anybody do that, but Jesus did that. There was another time where a centurion came to him and said, my servant needs to be healed. And Jesus was like, uh, you know, okay, I'll go. And the guy was like, no, you just say the word and he'll be healed. I know it. And so Jesus does. And in that same hour, he's, Jesus not even in proximity to the guy, gets healed. Another time, uh, Jesus is walking and there's this whole crowd crowding around him. And this woman who's been uh, bleeding for 12 years um musters up the strength. I don't know if any of you have ever been anemic or low on iron or or, or lost blood, but you don't exactly have a lot of strength, but she musters up the strength to touch the bottom of his garment, and she is healed. And Jesus is like, who just touched me? Power just went out from me. And then I read a story about the the early church. Peter and John are walking into the temple grounds, and there's a beggar at the door because beggars would stand there because religious people uh, are usually looking to do something religious, and so we'll often have people come to the church and ask for money because they know people coming to church are looking to do something good for God and it's a system to manipulate. That's what this guy was doing. And so he asked Peter for money. Now this man was lame in his feet, his ankles didn't work, something was wrong, he couldn't stand up, he couldn't walk, his his job was to sit and beg for money. That's all he could do. And Peter says, You know, I don't have any gold or silver, but I'll give you what I've got. Here's the Holy Spirit. And it says that the guy got up and walked away. Nowhere in that scenario did anybody say, hey, do you want to be healed? Hey, I want to be healed. Okay, well, let's go to this service and get healed. No, no, no. Beggar asks for money. Peter says, here's the Holy Spirit. The guy gets up and walks away. So here's what I find in all of Scripture when it comes to healing, when it comes to the doctrine of healing, God does what he wants. He wants. Jesus heals when and how and chooses by his sovereignty when to do what he wants to do. James says, bring them before the elders, have the pastors pray for these people. They will be healed, but we're not giving a timetable. You could be healed instantly. You could be healed in a month. You could be healed by death by going to be with him. You're going to be healed either way. But what we know based on scripture is that you can't contain or tame Jesus. He'll do what he wants and do what is best whether we agree with that or not. I would encourage you, implore you to say, you know what, I can trust him for the best in my life or, or to do what's best for my life because he can see so much more than me. Now, just look back on your life, five, 10 years. Look at where you were. Look at what you were asking for then. Look at where you are now. And imagine if God had answered those prayers then where your life would be. There might be good prayers in there where things may have worked out well, but there might be other ones like, oh, gosh, I'm so glad he didn't come through on that one. I'm so glad that prayer went uh, seemingly unanswered at the time. You know, I I don't wish that my son ever had cancer, but I watched people and groups in a community come around our family like I don't think any other way could have brought about. And so I look back now and go, wow, Lord, you've— you know, Ethan, this past week, he went to camp for the first time. He went to this camp that's for kids who are either going through treatment for leukemia or cancer or have gone through it. And he went and he came back a different kid. It was amazing what he, he, he was so sad to see us when we got there. We're all excited. I haven't seen my son in a week. And he's like, oh, hi, you're early. Like, are you kidding me? I almost kicked him in the shin. Like, I'm your dad. You should be excited to see me. I have all the video games. Come with me. But honestly, What we believe is very important. We're not trying to be nitpicky. What we're trying to do is weed out the chaff from the wheat, the bones from the meat, so that when you're eating the grass and drinking the water, you're actually eating the good grass and still water that is Jesus, not anything else. Everything else is just filler. You know, it's just... It's the type of stuff you don't want to see made. Let's put it that way. Bad theology is the hot dogs of your spiritual life. They might satisfy for a moment, but you don't want to see how it's made. And once you find out how it's made, you're like, oh gosh, that's bad. Little children, and there's that phrase again. He's always calling us little children. It usually means he's going to say something really profound. You are from God and have overcome them, that is the world, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You may have been a Christian for 10 minutes, but you've heard this verse. You've heard it somewhere. Maybe you've heard it in a song. Maybe you just heard somebody quote it. But this is a very important verse. The reality of this truth is profound. The world is the world, and they listen to themselves because they're of the world. And we, as the church, we often look at the world and go, how could they do that? Let me just give you a really simple answer. Because they're the world that's the answer that the Bible gives us as well well how could they how could they want to kill millions of children every year in the name of choice how could they do that well they're the world that's what they do how could they how could they do this or that or this thing and, and we're not talking about political lines here we're just talking about human nature how could they do this or how could they do that how could they lift up this sin while while telling those who are seeking righteousness that they're wrong because they're the world. But we're not of the world. And when you come to a teaching that tells you that you've now accepted Christ and now be like the rest of the world, you've you've stumbled into a bad teaching or a bad theology. If you hang out with Jesus by reading his word, by praying, by being in church with other people who are reading their Bible and praying, eventually you will stop looking like the world and you will start looking like Jesus. And the world will start looking like a foreign place to you. And that's a good thing. In in our country, many of us are very patriotic and we love our country. I love that I get to come in this country and preach the word of God and nobody says boo. I don't have to worry about being harmed Maybe somebody's going to say something or, you know, something like that, but it's not really a threat, really. But my first citizenship, our first citizenship is not here in this place. We are sojourners. We are foreigners. The Bible says we're aliens in this place. We might be naturally from this country or naturally from this world, but this is not our final place. We are strangers and we are aliens In this world, and if it feels weird in this world, if it feels like you don't understand why the world is the way that it is, you're going down the right path because the way of the world should not make sense to you. Ephesians two and nineteen says, "So then, you are no longer you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets." Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You were once strangers and aliens to the kingdom of God, but now your citizenship has been changed by your confessing faith in Christ. You now belong to his kingdom, and now the reverse is true. You're a stranger and an alien to the world you now exist in. The Bible says that our citizenship is now in heaven. Philippians 3 and 17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven... And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be subject, uh, to subject all things to himself. In verse one of chapter four, it says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. When we are called to stand firm, Against the enemy, against the world for righteousness, to have integrity to, to set our feet firm in the foundation that we've been given in the gospel the idea is that it's because we belong somewhere else that we aren't this is not our home and there are, there are things that we have there are comforts we have here but ultimately our life is not made or broken because this life is taken from us We have banked everything on the life that has been given to us that can't be revoked or that won't be revoked. This is why we as Christians, we don't worship a place. So many religions, so many uh, Christians even, they face a certain direction when they pray. They go to a certain, they make pilgrimages and they go places. We don't do that because we know we don't believe based on the word of God that there's a place we must go to that's holier than any other place. As Paul just told Uh, the Philippian church. God's building you and the other Christians in the world into a temple where the Spirit of God will reside. The temple's no longer in a place uh, that we go to. The temple is now us. We are the temple of God. And so we don't have to make an annual pilgrimage to this place or stand in a certain direction because, you know, Mecca is that way, so we've got to face that way. We don't have to uh, bow our heads down on a mat to pray. You know, some people do that and it's to no profit. Might make them feel better but there's no command in the word that there's a place that's more holy. And and the thing that makes us so human is that we hate that. I mean you maybe never have said, Oh, I hate that there's not a place where I can go worship. But wouldn't I mean doesn't it just feel better when you feel like you went to a holy place? Like sometimes you go to church and you're like, wow, I'm glad I went to church. Church, you know, was lit. I don't know what kids say nowadays. There's just something, and you went there and you don't experience it somewhere else. It's because in our minds, there's holy places and unholy places. You would never expect to go to a bar and feel the same way, though you could. You'd never expect to go to a baseball game and feel the same way, though you could. You'd never expect to go to a family reunion and feel the same way, and it'd be hard, but you could. You know, you never expect to go to this land or that land, this country, that state, this place. But you could, because God's not limited by geography. It's not as though you step across the line and now God can't come after you. If God doesn't exist in that place. He's like, come back. You know, it's not like the Lion King where there's the dark place and we can never go there. It's a God transcends borders. God transcends limitations that we might put on him. And we don't worship a place, we worship a person. Hebrews 13 and 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I, I love that we don't have to make pilgrimages, because have you ever traveled nowadays? It's not exactly the cheapest thing to do. And if you had to do that once a year, and that's your vacation from work, like, where are you going? To, oh, I'm going to, you know, some god-awful place where it's really hot, and somebody claims that it's holy, so i got to go. Really? Using up all your vacation days for that? Yeah, and all my you know, bonus pay and all that. Oh, good luck. I'm going to church on Sunday. Doing the same thing. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We as Christians often, we we understand that there's going to be these false accusations because we're Christians. The problem is, and I don't know if it's always been like this. I can only speak to what I see now as, uh, as a human on this earth for the 39 years I've been here. The accusations aren't so much false anymore. We claim to have this loving, vibrant community, but then we get together and there's little love and less vibrancy. We go and tell the world that there's this God who loves them and then, and, and not all of us, I mean just the loudest voices Really? We tell them that God loves them and wants to forgive them, and then we, we we turn and often are not the most loving or forgiving people. And Peter says, "Look, you're a brand new people. You're you're God's people now. You you didn't used to be. You didn't you weren't always God's people, but now you are. You didn't always have mercy, but now you have through Jesus. And now, when the Gentiles speak against you, or really when anybody speaks against you, make sure your conduct contradicts what they say." You see, church, we can go tell people all day long about how great Jesus is and how great church is and, you know, how fun this program is or, you know, what you've learned. The world has heard enough. If we want them to see a community of believers, or excuse me, we want them to believe that there's a community of believers under the umbrella of the name of Jesus Christ, this name that's above all names, this, this King of kings and Lord of lords who has died for us, who loves us, who is knitting us together as this temple of God, that we are a brand new creation, then the world needs to see that. We cannot proclaim one thing and then live another way because the world might be dying and destined for hell, but they're smart enough to see through that hypocrisy. They cannot see a dead fire, or I should say they will not see a dead fire and think that it's lit. They won't. And so if we aren't living as we confess the word says that we should or that we could, then the world will never be saved we often look at the book of Acts as sort of like the benchmark. Sometimes we idolize the first church. They were full of problems just like we are. But they are in a way like a benchmark. Like practically, what's it look like when a group of people are filled with the Holy Spirit because they believe that Jesus is their savior? What does that look like? Well, they come together and they, they hear the word of God and then they go and do it and they serve people and they love God above anyone else, and they proclaim the gospel to anyone that'll hear it, and they have dinner together, and they're not afraid to help each other out in ways that would hurt themselves, meaning sell a piece of land, sell a possession because you're out of money or because you've fallen on hard times, make a meal because you don't have food, or invite people in, and, and like, well, what, what if they take advantage of you? The early church was willing to be taken advantage of. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I don't. I don't want to be hurt by anybody. I don't want to put my family or my church in harm's way, but I don't see an alternative route. Either I make myself vulnerable to being taken advantage of, or I betray God, and I don't do what he says. Oh, I can be as wise as a serpent, and as gentle as a dove. I know that. But at some point, somebody's going to come and say, hey, I need money for this. Can you help me? And I have to decide... Do I risk being taken advantage of because this could be legit? Or do I just harden my heart towards this person and never test any of this? Do I just throw money at the situation and hope that it goes away? Or do I love that person who's now fallen into hard times? Sometimes it could be a lot of work. be easier just to throw money. And hey, here's five bucks, just leave me alone. Or just be like, no, you're just trying to swindle me. You're trying to cheat me. Get away from me. You know, dust my feet off and, you know, get behind me, Satan type of a thing. It's harder to be like, okay, what does this person really need? God, what do you want me to do for this person? I'm not saying God's going to tell you to give money to every person. I'm not. What I'm saying is that I think that God wants to talk to you when the opportunity presents itself. I think it's in your best interest to talk to God and be like, God, what do I do? I I love when you guys come to me and you're like, well, I don't love it. This sounds weird, but let me finish then you'll know what I mean. You know, oh, here's some devastating news that's insurmountable. I like that. You know why? Because I know all I have at that point is prayer, but I know that's all you need at that point is prayer from me. And when someone comes to you and it's the same thing, you're like, I don't know what to do. It can be a little overwhelming at first, but let that overwhelming transition into oh, okay, it was never about what I could do. It was about what the Lord's going to do for you. And stand in faith with that person and, and mourn with that person and, and have faith for that person. One of the things I love about that scripture in James chapter five, where it says, you know, if any, is any of you sick, have the elders of the church pray for them. The person's almost an innocent bystander that's sick in that story. The responsibility falls on the elders of the church to pray over that person, to look for a person who's sick, to to be actively seeking, oh, you're sick? Okay, we're getting together, we're gonna go pray for that person. It's like the friend on the mat that they lower through the ceiling. By the faith of the friends, that guy was healed because they wouldn't stop until their friend got to Jesus. There'll be times where there's stuff we can do and we should do it. It's not that hard. There are times where we'll have, we'll, we'll seem to bring nothing to the table, but honestly, God's brought that to you so that you could be a part of that somehow. Prayer, a shoulder to cry on, some advice to give, or just to let that, just to listen to that person. You ever just, you ever just been so distraught and you just, you get somebody and they just let you talk to them, and and they don't, they don't try to offer you advice every five seconds. You don't hear the phrase, "You know what you should do," you don't hear any of that. They just let you go on and on. And as you're and as you're kind of just like spilling out everything, in your own mind, you're like, I know this isn't I know this isn't gonna last forever. I know this isn't the end of my life, I know that things will get better, but you, you just you just gotta get it out. And you find those people and they just like, mm-hmm, yeah? That sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, that's that's horrible. What did you do? Like they're just listening to you. How cathartic that is. And you come to the end of it and they haven't offered you anything. They don't have any earth-shattering advice or some Bible verse to give you. They were just—they were the Bible verse for you. They just listened to you and heard you. And then maybe they say something like, well, let's pray. Man, I, 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 this sucks, but I know, that, I know that as much as we are confused about why this is happening, we know things can be changed in an instant. That's one of the reasons why I love the story of Job. I mean, I'm, 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 I love the story of Job because I'm not Job. <laughs> like, can you imagine, like, meeting Job one day? Like, you lost everything, and then your wife was like, why don't you just die? Like, that's a bad day. <laughs> like, I don't know about you. I've had some bad days, but nothing like that. Not where I've lost my wealth and my children, and my wife is like, why don't you just die? Like, that's never been a day of mine. But I love the story of Job because as quickly as we see things unravel, we see them come back. We see them restored. You might be going through some horrible times right now. And in the world, darn, I did that last week too. In the world, they might have methods and ideologies and how to fix things and what to do. But here's the thing. We deal with a sovereign God and as fast as things happen, things can be turned around. Oh, it can lead to to some spiritual whiplash you're like where even am i but at the end of it all the lord gives you this this strength this steeliness in your in your in your spiritual spine where you know the things that used to the things that used to send you off running now you find yourself ready and braced and ready to fight you're like yeah okay this that's what's happening Let, let's do this if this is how it's going to be if Satan's going to come at me this way if the world's going to come at me that way if that's what we have to do then we have to do it jesus Fight. Man, my job to fight especially when I'm not picking the fight oh if I'm picking the fight then I'm in the wrong and I'm going to end up hurt but if you're not picking the fight and the bully has come to bully you don't fight the bully let Jesus fight your battles watch the bully flee as Jesus shows up Satan's not scared of you He's not scared of me He's not scared of Billy Graham. He's not scared of whoever you think is spiritually elite in this country or this world. He's scared of Jesus. And so if Jesus is in you, well then yeah, he quakes and quivers and shivers and runs and runs away like a dog with his tail between his legs. But don't. Don't do it by yourself. Get with a body of believers. Satan, I I feel like Satan's attacking me. I'll tell you honestly, I I feel like Satan's been attacking me for the last two weeks. Oh, I don't mean like people's heads have been spinning and things are flying off the wall, so to speak. I mean, things like that aren't happening. There's not weird, like, Scooby-Doo, mass men type of thing happening. I just mean like, like, really? Like, you just walk away and just go, really? That's what just happened? Like, that's happening? And I, and Like, I almost died the other day. I didn't really, but I almost did. Here's what I mean. I have this very staunch rule about not texting while I drive. Because it's stupid. It just really is. It's one of the most dangerous things you can do. And I was driving home, and I was praying. And uh, I was talking to God. And I was kind of just like, Lord, this is kind of like the vision I feel like you're giving me. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go with it. Because I'm one of those guys that's like, well, I need a sign, and I need all this other stuff. I'm like, no, Lord, you know, you've given me wisdom. I laid out a plan. This is my plan, and I'm asking you to order my steps. And so I verbalized this plan. And then I got this thought in my head, because Sarah was following me in another car. I'm like, oh, no, what if she got a flat tire? Like, why did I even think that? She never had a flat tire in her life. And so I reached down to grab my phone, and then I looked up, and a car had stopped in front of me. And I had to hit the brakes so hard that I swerved like this, and... I've I've never had that happen to me before either. Because I never check my phone when I'm driving. Like, what in the world? Now, for you, you might be thinking, that wasn't Satan, that was just you being an idiot. Yes, I was being an idiot, I was. But there was a temptation there to go against something that I feel is a deep conviction in me. Maybe you text and drive, you should stop that. Brought to you by the New York State Drivers Association. You, You, I should not have done that. And I've never come that close to being in an accident like that before. And that guy, i just seen him. He wasn't stopping, he just stopped all of a sudden. And if that was the only thing that happened, then I'd say, okay, that's just circumstance. That's not the only thing that's happened. There's just like all these things happening. And I'm not here to whine or complain, and oh, poor Tony, and you know, he's fighting Satan and blah, blah, blah. No. What I'm saying is, is that it's a thing and it happens. And you shouldn't be surprised when it happens because you don't belong to his world anymore. The Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. And you don't belong to this world anymore and he's not cool with that. And so he'll come after you. You don't have to be afraid of him though. You don't have to be like, oh, Satan's behind that stool. He's behind those guitars. That music was sounded a little bit like heavy metal. He could be, He could be behind the music. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, I somebody shared a scene from Game of Thrones and I saw it. Oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. Satan got me. Let that kind of resonate for a minute. I'm gonna pick up my Bible. I don't like that it fell down. But we must acknowledge that he's real and he really doesn't like us. And there's real ways that God has given us to go after, or not to go after him, but to, to stand firm. And that he will flee. He will do the running, not you. He will do the running. Temptation to sin? You should flee from that. That's what Paul told Timothy. But we gotta stand firm in our faith. And our faith is that we no longer belong to this world. We now belong to his world. We now belong to Jesus's world. And because of that, he fights our battles. Greater is him who is in me than he who is in the world, and that's our reality. If Christ is in you today by the confession of your faith, then greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The God of this world who can bring everything this world has toppling on top of your head is not greater than the God who is in you and his name is Jesus. And if you don't have Jesus today, if you have not confessed your faith in him, if you have not repented of your sin and accepted the grace offer that God has extended to you, then today is the day that you do that. Today is the day where you say, God, I I ask for your forgiveness. God, I am sorry and I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The, the, the payment for my sin. He's the sacrifice for what I have done. And I am sorry for what I have done. And when when you read the Bible and you read about people who have done that, they don't meet a God with crossed arms, scowling face, like told you so. They find a God with arms open, seeking after them, wrapping arms, hugs, and, and celebrating that, as the song we sang today said, We were once lost, but now we're found. We were dead, but now we're alive. And so today, give your life to Jesus. Proclaim boldly that because of that, now the God that's in you is greater than the God that is in this world. And though trials may come, and though Satan may buffet, as the song says, you will stand because of him. So now let's stand together and pray. When it comes to salvation, there's no magic bullet. There's no silver bullet. Here's what you do. You confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died for your sins. And by faith, the hopeful expectation and trust that what Jesus has done will change your life. Let's pray together. If you've never done that, then today just pray with me. And then come talk to me after church and we'll, you know, if you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible and we'll get you, a, it'll get you connected so that, you know, you can start living. The Bible says those who belong to the kingdom of God must be born again. This is the moment to be born again. Father, we praise you. And we are so thankful for everything that the word says, but for this verse, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We thank you, Lord, that you are not a God like other gods, that you're not a God with just a list of qualities and a list of foibles, but you're a God who is the Almighty, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that, that by your name, every knee will bow and tongue will confess. Today, Lord, we pray that this would be our reality, that we're no longer part of this world, though we exist here and live here and work here and play here, that this is not the ending landing spot for us. It's as close to hell as we'll ever get, but that one day there is a place that we will go to and it's starting today, this place that will be with you where you are our God and we are your people and we no longer see you like looking through a dirty mirror. We see you face to face. Father, there's some of us here who have never crossed from our old self to the new. We have not been born again yet. So I'm praying today, Lord, that this would be the day, the, the birthday, if you will, for, for people being born into your kingdom. That This would be the day that they confess their faith in you and repent of the sins they've committed. Your word says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us in some way have betrayed your commands or disobeyed your commands. Many of us have been sinned against, Lord. People have taken advantage of us. They've hurt us and sinned against us, Lord. But your word has come and given us the promise that we can be cleansed, not only of what we've done, but what's been done to us. That today can be a brand new day. We confess our sins to you today, Lord. We, we as, as John says in confessing, we confess openly and freely that we indeed are sinners. And we are thankful that As prodigals, when we come home, we don't find a dad who's ready to ground us and scold us and obliterate us, but we find a dad who's ready to throw his arms around us to celebrate and have a party because we've come back home. So I pray, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for your people. And for for those of us maybe who are recommitting, Lord, reestablish our feet upon that foundation of your son, Jesus. And for those who are just trying to hold on for dear life, Lord, I lift them up to you. Those who, they've confessed these truths and repented of their sins and are just, they're just holding on with with everything they've got, Lord. Strengthen their hands, strengthen their backs and give them the strength and the peace they need to move forward. Thank you that we no longer belong to this world. Thank you that the world does things one way, Lord, but we see you doing them another, a more profitable way, a more beneficial way, the only way, really, that ever brings life to anybody. Thank you for not being limited by this world. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, uh, hold on a second. Go on, come on up. Church, we love you. If you need a Bible, if you need prayer, if you need anything, please come on up. I'll be up here for a few minutes. Kristen's gonna share something. Go ahead.
1: Everybody hear me okay? All right, so today was pretty awesome. It was all Holy Spirit stuff, kind of cool. Everybody was like, wow. You guys can sit if you want. Everybody was like, "Wound to the max, to the max. So we went back there, and we listened to some really loud worship music, and everybody jumped around for a little bit and get all their We
0: hurt you a little bit. And sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. Don't apologize. And
1: they really enjoyed it, and then we took it down, and we did some um, worship music, and then they kind of all laid down on the floor and relaxed and prayed a little bit. And today we talked about Luke 12 and about being anxious. I have every little kid and big kid um, is gonna come home with one of these notebooks. And what we did was is um, we prayed about some stuff. I asked them to tell me about their worries. They wrote their worries down, and then we recited Fear Not, and they crumpled up their worries, and they put them in the garbage sale. They have lots of worries, like your kids are worried. My kids are worried, our kids have worries, real ones. So I'm gonna encourage you to um, help them this week to write out some fears. The little kids drew pictures of their fears and then they crumpled them and they just said fear dot and they threw them out. So that's going to come home with the little kids today. The bigger kids, um, 10 and up, let's see. Um, Justin is starting big kids church next week. So um, for anybody that's 10 and up and wants to join in, they're still going to do um, our main lesson um, and then they they all got a notebook today and if they didn't have a Bible, they got a Bible. Um, Justin gave everybody an assignment, and they're just going to kind of chat next week a little bit in Big Kids Church about how where their vision is and where they want to go, um, so if you can encourage them to work on that this week, too. Um, I think that's it. But So they'll come out with their notebooks, so you can ask them about it. Um, and it was four words, Luke 12, fear not. Like, that was the theme today. If so you can kind of drill that in their heads up, because they, we have some warriors back there that are pretty good at it. So.
0: Nice. We'll turn the warriors into warriors. And the, sorry, that was cheesy. Oh uh, yeah, yes, Terry, come on up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for Terry's opportunity to go to Europe, to sing, to go to these various places uh, abroad and and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as she travels, that you would keep her safe, that she would have the time of her life, Lord, that her and the, and the other singers with her, that they would just enjoy every minute of every moment of that travel, Lord, and the singing and the experiences, Lord. And may they come back with stories and and, and things that they can share with us about what you've done in this opportunity. I pray that you would just continue to fill Terry with the Holy Spirit, that no matter where she walks or treads, that you would be with her because you are her God. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Terry. When are you coming back, Terry? Uh, the 29th. Of July? July? Sweet. All right. All right. The rest of you, God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Talk to your kids about Jesus. Talk to your spouses about Jesus. And Have a great day.